0: You can be seated, and you can turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. So glad that you're here tonight. The fact that you're here tonight means that you did not allow any excuses to keep you from church. It would have been very easy to let some excuses perhaps keep you from church, whether I'm too tired or my car's in the shop and I might have to walk or get a ride. I mean, that that could have been an excuse tonight. Uh, or, you, you know, I'm being a manager. I got all kinds of excuses as to why people couldn't come into work back when I was managing that store. You know, whether it was uh, my car broke down or there's too much snow or I overslept. I mean, there's just all kinds of excuses that You can come up with, but I'm thankful that No Excuses kept you uh, from church tonight. Since I ended last week with a Southern Gospel song, I thought I'd start this week with another. It's one called Excuses. I grew up hearing this song. The chorus goes like this, excuses, excuses. You hear them every day. And the devil, he'll supply them if church you stay away. When people come to know the Lord, the devil always loses. So to keep them folks away from church, he offers them excuses. Now listen to some of the excuses it gives. In the summer, it's too hot. And in the winter, it's too cold. But in the springtime, when the weather is just right, you find some way else to go. Whether it's up to the mountains or down to the beach or to visit some old friend or just to stay home and kind of relax and hope some folks start dropping in. Obviously, these people were not from Colorado. Or just, uh, uh, well, the be- well, the benches are too hard and the choir sings way too loud. Boy, you know how nervous you get when you're sitting in a b- great big crowd. The doctor told you you better watch them crowds. They'll set you back. But you go to that old ball game because you say it helps you to relax. Well, a headache Sunday morning <laughs> and a backache Sunday night but by work time Monday morning you're feeling quite all right while one of the children has a cold pneumonia do you suppose why the whole family had to stay home just to blow that poor kid's nose well the preacher he's too young or maybe he's too old Uh, His voice is much too, or the sermons, they're not hard enough, and maybe they're too bold. His voice is much too quiet, like sometimes he gets too loud. He needs to have more dignity, or else he's way too proud. Well, the sermons, they're too long, or maybe they're too short. He ought to preach the word with dignity instead of stomp and snort. Well, that preacher we've got must be the world's most stuck-up man. One of the ladies told me the other day why he didn't even shake my hand. Excuses, excuses. You'll hear them every day. And the devil, he'll supply them if from church you stay away. When people come to know the Lord, the devil always loses. So to keep them folks away from church, he offers them excuses. See, we are champions at making excuses. And too often we make excuses as to why we cannot do what God wants us to do. I'm too young. I'm too old. I don't have enough money. I've got too much debt. I can't work that kind of job because I've always worked this kind of job. This is who I've always been. This is how I was brought up. I can't. It's too hard. I can't change. It will never change. It's hard to believe that when we serve the creator of the universe who made everything ex nihilo out of nothing that we would continue to make excuses why we can't do something that he has called us to do. The title of our message tonight is I am still is, but we still make excuses. God has called Moses to the enormous task of delivering God's people from the greatest empire in the world. And in chapter three, we saw Moses' humility come out that he realized, I am just, I, 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 this is beyond me. I'm not capable of doing what God's called me to do here. But as you go into chapter four, his humility kind of spirals downward into excuses. And he continues to make excuse after excuse after excuse till it comes to the point where God gets angry with him. The anger of the Lord was kindled against him. But in this chapter, God is at work to dispel Moses' excuses and to give him the confidence that he needs that God can do with him what he cannot do on his own. And tonight what I want to do is I want to show you how God responds to our excuses and why we shouldn't be making excuses to do what he calls us to do. The first thing I want you to see here in Exodus chapter 4 is that when Moses made excuses, God demonstrated his power. Would you look with me at verse number one? It says, And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. So now he's imagining what's going to happen is as I go into uh, the elders of Israel and I go to tell them, hey, the Lord God of our fathers has appeared unto me. It's not going to matter to them what your name is. They're not going to believe me. They're not going to listen to me. I have no influence. I have no power in this situation. And so he gives this excuse that I can't do anything to convince them to believe that you've appeared to me. And God says... If you can't convince them, I will convince them. And so what what he tells Moses to do is he says, hey, what's that in your hand? You find this in verse number two, and he says, a rod. He says, cast that rod on the ground. And so he casts the rod on the ground, and that thing becomes a snake. And it says, Moses fled from before it. I'd be fleeing too if I threw something down and it became a snake. And so now he's hiding over there, freaking out because of this snake. And God tells him, now Moses, I want you to go pick that thing up by the tail. Now you don't pick up a snake by the tail. You pick up a snake by the tail, that thing's going to come at you. You grab it behind the head, make sure it can't do that. But he says, you go grab it by the tail. I can just imagine Moses like, huh, I don't know. He reaches down there, grabs that tail and it becomes a rod Again. And God's telling him, you want to know what I can do, Moses, to convince them? I can cause an inanimate stick to become a snake and cause the snake to become a stick again. Now, when you study Egyptian culture, you'll notice their headdresses of the pharaohs were like cobras, and you find throughout all of their ancient ar- archaeology that snakes were a huge deal. And what you find out in the study is that, that uh, they saw snakes and serpents as wielding the power of the gods. And so as God tells them, look, I'm going to make this, stake, this, this, uh, this rod become a snake, and I'm going to make the snake become a rod. Here's what I want you to know, Moses. I've got more power than the gods of the Egyptians. They're like toys in my hand. He says, and if that's not going to convince him, then here's what I want you to do. Put your hand in your bosom. Moses puts his hand in his bosom. God says, take it out. He takes it out, and it says that his hand was leprous, white as snow. Now he's got a diseased hand, and, and, and God says, put it back in, and he puts it back in, and he plucks it out this time. And it's back to his normal flesh. Another miracle. Another miracle shows them, I don't need Egypt's magic potions to heal. No, you just put your hand in there. This is what I can do. I've got enough power. And, and he says, and if they don't believe the first sign, they'll believe the second sign. But then he says, but just in case they don't believe the second sign, then here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a bucket of water and you're going to take go, a bucket. I want you to go down to the river and I want you to take some of the water out of the river and I want you to pour it out on the ground. And when you pour it out on the ground, it's going to turn into blood now that's powerful <laughs> and that's a sign of things to come that God's going to turn the entire Nile into blood but what's happening here is Moses is coming to the situation and he's saying I don't have any power to be able to do what you are calling me to do and God said you don't need to have any power because I got all the power that you need <laughs> You see, a lot of times what happens is that uh, when we have a problem, when God's called us to do something that's beyond us, what begins to come to the forefront of our minds are all the problems and all the obstacles that we're going to face. Financial problems, physical limitations, uh, job problems, family problems, logistical problems, those things all come to the forefront of our mind. And it's in those times they can convince you to believe that you are incapable of doing what God's called you to do but it's in those times we need to remember this when we have a problem God's got a solution and when we don't have enough power in this situation God's got all the power that we need that's what God is demonstrating to Moses here is that he's got all the power that Moses needs and with his power he overcomes every excuse and every obstacle that Moses gives but you know what happens he continues to make excuses. Look at verse number 10. And Moses said unto the Lord, "Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent. I am not eloquent. I, I, neither heretofore, <laughs> that what this literally means is, three days ago nor since the time you started talking to me he's saying i've never been eloquent i've not been able to be a good public speaker he says uh he says but i am slow of speech and of a slow tongue when you look that up it means that his tongue is heavy now this could mean uh, it could mean the fact that maybe he lost fluency in the egyptian language remember he's been in the wilderness for 40 years no matter where you go you're probably going to forget some words and how to talk in that way but it also could mean that he had some kind of physical limitation or possibly that he had a stutter or a stammer. We don't really know for sure. But what he's saying is this. God, it's not just that I won't have influence. It's not that I just don't have power. I can't even talk. <laughs> and you know what God says? Look at verse 11. The Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb or deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I, the Lord, have not I, Jehovah, Yahweh, I am. Haven't I made your mouth? And if I made your mouth, don't you think I can remake your mouth? Don't you think I can equip you? Don't you think I have the power to take somebody who can't talk themselves out of anything and make them a great leader of a nation? God says in verse 12, Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. And so whenever, I mean, you look at this and Moses is coming up with the problems. And a lot of times that's what we have the tendency to do in our lives. That when we run into an issue that's hard for us, something we can't see ourselves being able to do, the very first thing we begin to do is make excuses for why we can't do it. (laughs) why we can't get this job, why we can't give this money, why we can't find a relationship, why we can't find a place to live, why we can't, uh, it's, it's always I can't, I can't, I can't. That's always what we come up with when we face something that's difficult in our lives when we face something that we realize is harder than what we can do. But God wants us to know that for every obstacle that we face and for every problem that we come across, his power is greater than our power and he can overcome it. And so Moses is done making excuses, right? He's going to just go on and do what God says, right? Well, no, he continues to make excuses. If you look at verse 13, he says, Oh, my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. Now, if you're not careful, you can read through that and think, okay, Moses has finally come to the place of surrender. He's saying, okay, Lord, okay, whoever you choose to send, you send. You almost get the sense that it's here am I, send me, like Mary, the handmaid of the Lord, as she said to that angel when he announced that she was going to carry the Savior of the world But that's not what's happening here. Because if you look at verse 14, it says, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. When you look up this language here, here's really what Moses is saying. Here I am, Lord, send someone else. (laughs) Don't send me. When you you look it up, what it means is stretch out your hand. What he's saying is is don't, don't send me. Stretch out your hand to someone else. You're sovereign, send somebody else. And what you have happening here is that Moses has come to the point where he's in such disbelief of his own abilities that he refuses to go and God is angry with him. You see, what's happened in Moses' life is that Moses started with humility, and his humility morphed into excuses, and his excuses morphed into unbelief, and his unbelief resulted in refusal to go, which made God angry. See, when God calls you to do something that's beyond your capacity, it's OK to have this sense of inability the sense of insufficiency, and to feel the weight of that. It's good to have healthy humility, but if you're not careful, that humility can morph into excuses, and, and in those excuses, you be- begin to give reasons why you can't do what God has called you to do, and you become so focused on that that you begin to excuse yourself from what God wants you to do. And then what happens is those excuses morph into unbelief, where now you you say, I can't possibly do what God wants me to do. It's not possible. In fact, I don't even think God could turn me into that kind of person. I don't think God could uh, get, get me into this kind of situation. I don't think God could bring this change in my life. And what happens is your humility turns into excuses, which turn into unbelief, which turns into outright refusal. I won't do what God wants because I can't do what God wants. And in turn, God gets angry. And the reason God gets angry is because your excuses insult his sufficiency. They insult his sufficiency. But thank God that God is gracious, that God is merciful, because God doesn't just Uh, consume Moses in his wrath and in his kindled anger but rather God works with him verse 14 says and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses and he said is not Aaron the Levite thy brother I know that he can speak well and also behold he cometh forth to meet thee and when he seeth thee he will be glad in his heart and thou shalt speak unto him and put words in his mouth and and I will be with thy mouth and his mouth and will teach you what ye shall do and he shall be thy spokesman unto the people and he shall be even he shall be to thee instead of a mouth and thou shalt be to him instead of God What's happening here is Moses continues to make his excuses. God gets angry at his disbelief and his refusal to go. And, and, but when Moses continues to make excuses, God's already demonstrated his power to him. Now God is going to demonstrate his provision for him. He tells him, Moses, you're right. You can't talk. I can barely stand listening to you talk. I don't know if that's exactly what God said, but he's about had enough. He said, don't you have a brother named Aaron? I know he can speak well. I know he'll be just fine. And so he's on his way here to even meet you as we speak. And what I'm going to do is, is you're going to be a mouthpiece for me, and Aaron's going to be a mouthpiece for you, and I'm going to provide you with somebody who can speak well just to get rid of your excuse that you can't speak well. I'm going to provide you with that. What ends up actually happening is that Aaron becomes nothing more than a security blanket for Moses because when he goes back into Egypt, uh, while Aaron is there present, he's largely silent. He doesn't say anything. (laughs) It ends up being Moses. But God wants him to know, okay, you got an excuse? I got a solution. And it's my provision. And then he tells him kind of a weird ending to this in verse 17 it says and thou shalt take this rod in thine hand wherewith thou shalt do signs what you see here is Moses has his excuses as to why he can't do what God has called him to do and God says let me show you my power snake leprosy healing water into blood let me show you my power and then Moses says well I can't talk and he says let me provide you with a spokesman and I've provided you with this rod and so you can take this rod and you're going to do signs and those signs are going to convince the people and eventually Pharaoh is going to let you go and you're going to be able to do what I have called you to do and so uh, when Moses offered excuses as to why he couldn't do what God called him to do God demonstrated his power and his provision to bring his will to pass. And when you have God's power and when you have God's provision, there's no further need to make excuses. I want to give you two statements of truth about excuses. The first one is this. Excuses cripple God's work in your life. Excuses cripple God's work in your life. See, when you come to a place where you say, well, I can't tithe and give that amount to missions that God is calling me to because I've got other financial burdens. The the reality is, is that what God wants to do is maybe he's brought those financial burdens into your life to stretch your faith, to bring you to the place where you realize that you can't give that much more. And yet somehow by the end of the year, God enabled you to give so much more. God wants to do a work in your life. And when we come to our missions month in October and we renew our faith promise commitment, there might be some who are going to say, you know, I don't know if I should give that much. There are some that you're going to be truly seeking the Lord. God, what do you want me to give? And God's going to say, I want you to give this much more than you were last year. And you're going to say, God, do you know what's going on in my life? Did you know I lost my job? Did you know the stock market crashed? Did you know that, that we've had all these expensive with our house and with our car and we got all these burdens and all these problems going on. God, is that, are, are you sure that's what you, I just don't think I can give that much. What happens is when you live your life by the excuses, you don't get to see God work in the ways that he wants to work to bring his will to pass in your life. You're crippling his work by living by your excuses, Somebody might say, I can't work this type of job because I've always worked this type of job. And I'm familiar with it. It's because it's what I've always done. And I don't think I can do anything else. But what God wants to do in your life is he wants to grow you up beyond that entry-level job to be able to get you to a place where you're stable and where you can grow. And there's opportunity for raises and there's opportunity to get to a more successful place. Why? So that he can use your life to maybe give more to missions down the road and, and to be a blessing to others down the road when others have been a blessing to you at this point of your life. He wants to grow you to that place but if you just write off things in your life and you say you know I I just don't think I can do that I don't think I can start my own business I don't think that I could work a different type of job this is the only one that I know how to do when you make excuses you limit what God can do in your life and you limit the fact that you probably won't get to see where God wanted you to go because you were too busy making excuses for why you couldn't get there That's what happens. Sometimes we think that anger is hereditary, right? Well, I'm an angry person because my mom was angry, and my dad was angry, and my grandparents were angry, and their parents were angry, and they were Irish, and so they had the red hair, and they were very angry. (laughs) It's hereditary. It's genetic. And so I guess this is just who I've always been. It's probably who I'm always going to be. I can't change. I just can't seem to get over it. But when you live based off the excuses of your genes and the excuses of your past, what you are doing is you are crippling the work of the Holy Spirit in your life to give you victory over that anger and that frustration because that's the growth God wants to bring in your life. But when you live by the excuses of why you can't change, you cripple God's work in your life. Might say the same thing about some other temptation. <clears throat> that you can just think in, in your life. I mean, that whether it's alcohol, that alcohol has just always been in my family. My grandpa was drunk, my dad was drunk, my mom was drunk, and now I'm a drunk, and I just can't ever get past that. It's, it's passed down through the bloodline, and now I'm addicted, and I'll never be able to get off it. But what I want to tell you is that God is of sufficient power, and God is of sufficient provision to be able to get you off the alcohol, and off the drugs, and off the sexual sin, and God wants to get you to a different level of Christianity, a different level of Christ-likeness. That's his plan for your life. But if you're constantly living by the excuses and making excuse after excuse after excuse, you'll not get to the place where God wants you to get. See, excuses cripple God's work in our lives. I want you to notice, secondly, that excuses... Insult God's sufficiency. Our excuses insult God's sufficiency. See, when God comes into your life and He calls you to, to some kind of change in your life, or He calls you to some type of ministry, or something in your life, and you come to the place where you make excuses, here's what you're, you're saying God didn't know what He was doing when He called me. God God doesn't know the kind of person that I am. God doesn't know the depths of this addiction in my life. God doesn't know the physical limitations in my life. God doesn't know the incapacities in my life. And thus what you are doing is saying, God, I know me better than you know me and you made a mistake. That's pretty insulting to God. See, what can happen as we've seen here is your humility can morph into excuses which translate into unbelief, which result in refusal, which angers God. And why is God angry about it? Because it's insulting to his sufficiency when you say, God can't, so I won't. Excuses cripple God's work and excuses insult his sufficiency. And so the truth that I believe that God wants us to understand tonight from this text is that we got to stop making excuses. And the reason we got to stop making excuses is because the God who has called us, the God who has called us to this change, the God who has called you to this job, the God who has called you to this ministry is of sufficient power and sufficient provision to bring his will to pass in your life. And when you have God's power and you have God's provision, there's no further need to make excuses. That's what God's getting across to Moses. That's what he wants us to get tonight. And so what about when I'm tempted to make excuses? What about when, I mean, how do do I handle that? Because I know me, and I know every time God wants to do something significant in my life, I start making the excuses of why I can't right away. I begin to think, well, this is who I've always been, and I guess this is who I've always been, or this is how I grew up, and so this is just how I am. It's not really going to change, and we just begin to make excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse as to why we can't do or why we can't change into the person that God is calling us to be. How how do I face this temptation? Well, first of all, when you're tempted to make excuses— Trust in God's power. Trust in God's power. When, when God's calling you to give more to missions and you just don't see how it can happen, you're tempted to say, but look at these financial problems. My car broke down again. It hailed on my roof again. I mean, look at this. I, I just lost my job again. God, how could I possibly do that? Hey, let's just remember for a moment that he's a God who turned a rod into a snake He's a God who healed leprosy in a moment. He's a God who could turn water to blood. He's a God who could part red seas. He's a God who could bring manna from heaven. He's a God who could put a coin in a fish's mouth to take care of the disciples' tribute money. He's the God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And so when God made it all and owns it all, why should I make any excuses that he can't give me it all? We've got to trust his power. When you consider... Whether or not uh, God can get you into this ministry. How he could possibly make a preacher out of you, or how he could possibly make a missionary out of you, or how he could get you to the place where you can go out into an atheistic community and share your faith with people in a way that makes a difference, in a way that draws them to faith in Jesus Christ. When you're considering how can I possibly do that? I can't talk. I don't have a way with words. I don't have an understanding or a certain comprehension. Hey, let me just ask you a question Who made man's mouth? Who gave you the ability to talk? Don't you think if God is impressing on your heart the need to share your faith with others, that He has the perfect capability to remake your mouth and to reshape your life into somebody who can share your faith and can do so effectively? He absolutely can. That's the kind of power that I am still wields today in our lives as believers. He still works. When you're looking at your life and and, and your sin in your life or there's anger in your life and you're just uh, considering, I just don't see how I could possibly change. I've been like this for 20 years. I've dealt with this addiction for 30 years. I just can't seem to get over it. I've tried all these programs. I've tried reading these books. I've tried to do all these different things to get me off of this, and I just can't seem to do it. Let me remind you, the Bible says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man... But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape. That God does not allow you to face whether it's a temptation to sin or if it's a trial of your life that he can't bring you through. He'll never bring you to what he can't bring you through. That's the kind of God that he is. And so he has given you the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of Jesus Christ. He's empowered you with something that is beyond you to get you beyond where you are to where God wants you to be. And so you can sit there and you can make all the excuses about your past and about your upbringing, about who you've always been, or you can stop making excuses and start trusting God's power. He wants us when we are tempted to make excuses to trust and depend on his power. But what I also want you to see is when you're tempted to make excuses, trust in his provision. Trust in his provision. See, when you're talking about, I mean, talked about this a little bit already, but when you're talking about overcoming sin, let's not forget that he gave you the Holy Spirit. He provided you As we saw in the book of Galatians, he provided you with something that could facilitate righteousness in your life far better than the Old Testament law ever could, and that is the Holy Spirit within you. That when you got saved and he gave you the Holy Spirit, he provided you with the Holy Spirit, he finally gave you something that could be at war with your flesh something that could restrain your flesh, something that could tell you, hey, stop doing that, stop looking at that, stop smoking that, stop drinking that, stop talking that way, quit lying like that. The Holy Spirit pricks your heart, and all you gotta do is say, well, he's given me the power, the Spirit is speaking, I'm gonna yield to the Spirit by faith, trusting him to change me into the person that he's calling me to be, and that is a disciple of Jesus Christ. He has provided you with the Holy Spirit. And when it comes to those financial burdens, He provides for you sometimes in remarkable and spectacular ways. Ways that seem like He's bringing a coin out of a fish, ways that seem like He's just dropping things in your lap. And sometimes, sometimes you're just wondering, well, why doesn't that ever happen to me? <laughs> it sure be nice if something would just fall in my lap right now in this particular time in my life. Well, if he hasn't done it yet, then it must mean that he's not quite ready to do it yet. And you need to keep trusting his provision. Keep doing what he's called you to do and take those steps of faith, trusting him to provide for you. Listen, a lot of times, the reason why people will not believe the gospel is because they're making excuses about the gospel. There are some who would say, I can't get saved. My sin's too bad. God can't forgive me. Pastor, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the people I've hurt. You don't know the things I've put in my body. You don't know the ways that I have talked about God in my past. You don't know about the ways that I have rejected Jesus. You don't know about the Satan tattoos on my shoulders. You don't know about how long I've been an atheist. You you don't know just how bad and awful of a person that I am. God would never forgive me. And because they make that excuse, assuming that God will never forgive them, they don't come to trust in Christ. It leads them from excuse to unbelief to refusal. There are some who say it can't be that simple. It can't be that simple. I mean, you're talking about just trust in Jesus. That's what these pastors always say. Give your heart to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. Ask Jesus in your heart. I mean, what does that even mean? <laughs> That's what a lost person is thinking. That's too simple. There's got to be something that I have to do in order to be saved. There's got to be some kind of religious practice, some sacrament, some pilgrimage. There's got to be something that I have to do to redeem and atone for my own sins. It can't just be by faith. There are some who say, well, I don't get atonement. I mean, why, why couldn't God just forgive me of my sin the way that I would forgive my kids? Why did Jesus have to die? Why does God demand that blood be shed for sins? I don't get the atonement. I mean, how does all that work when Jesus shed his blood? How does God see uh, sin covered by Jesus for all of eternity? Who does it apply to? Is it just those who believe him or is it sufficient for everybody? I mean, I don't understand atonement. And because they don't understand it, they give an excuse for it. So they don't believe and they refuse to get saved. But you know what I'm thankful for? Salvation isn't dependent on my ability to understand how it all works in God's heart. Salvation is dependent on believing and doing what God has given, what God has provided, the provisional atonement of Jesus Christ, his innocent blood for my sinful blood. All I have to do is believe that Jesus died for my sin and call upon him for salvation. And the Bible says, thou shalt be saved. It really is that simple. And you can continue to make excuses as to why it can't happen that way, why it's impossible, or why it doesn't make sense. Or you can simply trust in God's provision and accept Christ as your Savior tonight. We don't have to make excuses because we have God's power and we have God's provision. And so whenever you're coming through your life and you're tempted to make excuses as to why you can't do what God's called you to do or why you can't be who God's called you to be, you need to remember, you need to remember it's his power and it's his provision that can get you where you're supposed to go, that can help you do what you're supposed to do and be who you're supposed to be. It's not in you. It's in him. And what you'll find is that when you decide, when you finally come to the place where you say no excuses, when you come to the place where you say I'm done making excuses and you begin trusting in God's power and trusting in his provision, you'll begin to see God do remarkable things in your life. You'll see him begin to bring remarkable change into your life. Things you never thought you could get over. Things you had every excuse in the book as to why you couldn't do it. And God will start to do it in your life. Wherever you are limited, wherever you are limited, God is not limited. So it's time we stop making excuses and start trusting in God his power, his provision to bring us to where we ought to be, who we ought to be, and what we ought to be doing. Father, we come to you tonight thankful for your power and thankful for your provision. Lord, without you, we could not have our existence. Without you, We could not be who you've called us to be. We're talking about Christ-like. We're talking about husbands loving wives as Christ loved the church. We're talking about wives respecting their husbands as to the Lord. We're talking about children obeying their parents in all things. We're talking about doing things that are beyond our capacity. But through Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit, I believe, and you have said, you've provided us with all the power and all the provision we need to do what you want us to do and to be who you want us to be. So by your grace, would you help us to stop making excuses And just start trusting in your power. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll have some music begin to play, and I want to encourage you, if God's spoken to your heart tonight about some excuses that you've been making in your life, about the crippling effect your excuses are putting on your life, or about the insults that maybe you've brought to God's sufficiency, that you'd repent, And acknowledge it's wrong. And that you come to the place where you trust in God's power and His provision to make you who you ought to be. Father, we want to thank you for bringing us together again to worship you together, to fellowship together, and to look to your word. And Father, I'm asking you through the power of your Holy Spirit and the grace of our Savior Jesus to manifest your power, your presence, and your provision in our lives so that we might grow to be who you have called us to be. Father, we're trusting in you and leaning on you to do that work for many times over. I feel like this task that you've given us here in the city of Boulder is overwhelming and challenging, and we could make all the excuses that we want, or we could just go forth in the name of I am, trusting in your power and trusting in your provision to help us reach this city for Christ. I pray for those who are dealing with major obstacles in their lives. And sometimes it can seem like they're on a trajectory for where you want them to be and some roadblock can come that just seems to stop them in their tracks. But Father, I pray that even in those times, we would rest in your wisdom and in your sufficiency to continue doing what you've called us to do, to continue being faithful to you, stepping forward for Christ's glory so I ask your blessing on us. Use us, God. Use us to bring people to faith in Christ and make us into the image of Jesus that you want us to be. I pray that you would bless us the rest of this week. Bring us back safely to worship you again on Sunday to take in more truth from your word. Bless our fellowship together this weekend. May it be a wonderful time of building relationships. And of encouragement in our faith. We're also we also know that there are some who will be there that have not trusted Christ. And I pray that you would use the conversations that we have to bring them closer to faith in Jesus. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.